With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. What's up, you guys? I'm Haley. And I'm Andrea. And this is Inhuman, a true crime podcast. All right, welcome back to part two of the disappearance of Lauren Spear. I've been waiting all week. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, for you guys, you've been waiting a few days, but we, will, yeah. Andrea's been waiting about two minutes. Yep. Because <laughs> we are actually on our game this time and recording both episodes this week early. I know. Who are we? Who are we? I know. Although it's 2.30 on Sunday and I have to get part one edited for tomorrow. Yeah, that's true. So, but it's okay. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. So if you guys haven't heard part one, be sure to go listen to that because I went through the timeline of the night Lauren disappeared and the beginning of the investigation during pretty much the first two years that she was missing. Right. Don't want to miss that part. No, not at all. Because you'll be very confused. I wonder if people listen to our episodes backwards. Like, I wonder if new listeners come in and start at like our newest episode. I think so sometimes. Yeah. Okay. So if that's if you're if this is the first episode you're listening to. Go back. And hi, welcome. To yeah, hi, welcome. <laughs> but go back and listen to the last one and then this one, because otherwise you're just going to be real confused. Yeah. Hopefully, I mean, it, hopefully that's clear because it's like we label it part one, part two. But yeah. Which I also realized like the end of the last episode, I was like, surprise, there's going to be two parts, but I'm probably going to call that one part one. <laughs> so like people will <laughs> you know. You already know. Yeah. <laughs> but it's fine. So we are going to pick up on the two-year anniversary since Lauren disappeared. And if you remember, right at the end of the last one, I talked about how Lauren's parents had said they did not believe that any drug experimentation had anything to do with her disappearance. So not even that she could have been under the influence of drugs and that's what caused her to maybe not make the best decisions? At this point, from that statement and my interpretation of that statement, they didn't think that she was experimenting with drugs. Okay. Which I think a lot of people think that she possibly was, which who cares if she was? It doesn't make a difference. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. It could explain possibly what happened. But I'm pretty right. sure from my understanding of what her parents were saying, they were saying they didn't think that she was experimenting with drugs. Okay. So on the two year anniversary, Nadine Wolf, who is Jesse Wolf's mom, which is a reminder, Jesse Wolf was Lauren's boyfriend of three years. Right. She came forward to express her frustration with the Spear family. The Spears had continued to ask for him and the other bo- guys that were there that night to take police polygraph tests, and they publicly questioned if Jesse was actually at home sleeping that night. So Nadine shared her frustration and said that her son would not be taking a polygraph test with the Bloomington Police Department since he passed a private one and she did not feel like she could trust the police test. She straight up said, quote, 
I don't trust them in reference to the Bloomington police. I mean, why? Mm-hmm. What if, I mean, we you know, we try to give them the benefit of the doubt from the gate. Like, had they done anything to lead her to feel that way? Like, not that she stated. Because, again, this person has been in her life, too. So she should love and care about Lauren. Yes. And want to help as much as possible. But I don't know. Okay. She talked about how devastated Jesse was. So up until here, I can kind of understand where Nadine is coming from. Like, she shouldn't have done this on the on the two-year anniversary of Lauren's disappearance, but I do get, like, she had, you know, Jesse's her son, it's her child, she's trying to protect him. But then she said something that pissed a lot of people off. Mm, Great. She said, quote, this poor little girl is not with us today because of her drug abuse. Um. Mm Mm-hmm. That's not factual information. That's, you know, hearsay or... Even if even if her boyfriend said, yeah, she had a coke problem or a whatever problem, you know, that's that's really neither here nor there, honestly. No, you can't make a solid statement about that. No, that's not fair. So Nadine also claimed that the summer camp that Jesse and Lauren had met at had once asked Lauren to leave because of her drug use. Now, this is only coming from Nadine Wolf. No one else has spoken to this to prove its validity, so we don't know. Wow. Okay. Now, one other interesting thing that came from this, Lauren had actually been, apparently, arrested nine months before her disappearance for public intoxication. Now, I wasn't able to find any other sources on that, but even if it is true... Public intoxication, one, can mean alcohol. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to mean drugs. It actually, I feel like, more often means alcohol. I think it does. Yeah, I think it does typically mean alcohol. Yeah. So, I think Nadine was kind of using this and playing off of this to... Deflect? Show an image (laughs) that Lauren had a drug or alcohol problem, that her son didn't have anything to do with this, and, and the drug alcohol problem was what caused Lauren to disappear. I feel like she could have done that without dragging her name through the mud. Yes. This next quote is kind of long, but I want to read it directly because it just shows what type of image Nadine is trying to project of Lauren. That's awful. So she said, quote, if Jesse was guilty of anything, he was guilty of taking care of Lauren. She had some serious drug issues. She would abuse to the point where she would black out. Jesse always threatened to call and tell her parents, and she said, if you do, I'll break up with you. My son took care of her for two years while she was in college. The one night she went out without him and did what she did, unfortunately cost her her life. End quote. Mm. Which, that makes me so mad. The way that she's talking about it and saying these things. Yeah. It just... It's sad. It's really sad. Yeah. And a couple things. I get why she was frustrated that there was so much heat on her son. Because she believed he's innocent. She is protecting her son. Was there so much heat on him, though? Like, it was just the parents that wanted the polygraph. Was Were the police, like, on his ass? I don't think the police were. I think the public was. I think a lot of the public, was, especially with the parents saying... 
you know, we think that maybe he's not telling the full truth. The public was probably pressuring him a lot. And, like, I I get that aspect of it. But to come out on the two-year anniversary of Lauren's disappearance and say these things, and, like, these are some serious allegations. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we haven't heard anything confirming or denying these allegations. Right. But it doesn't matter because in the scheme of it, like, it doesn't matter if she had any type of drug or alcohol problem. She's missing. Something happened to her, and that's all that matters. And for you to come out and, like, say that and, like you said, drag her name through the mud, like, no. She could have come out and said other things to clear her son's name right? without going into this. Or even said this stuff in a nicer manner. Yeah, like, she's victim-blaming, like, saying... Because yes. she did X, she deserved Y. And that's exactly disgusting and unacceptable. And I will die on that hill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this really pissed me off. That's but... sad. That's really sad because that could have been her daughter-in-law, you know? Yeah, exactly. And this made the Spears really upset because not only was she saying mean things about their daughter but you know they were close and they mm-hmm. knew each other right. and they after this said they were quote appalled that the wolves had defamed their daughter on the two-year anniversary of her disappearance wow. so they were clearly upset which is understandable yeah. it is understandable that nadine was upset but she could have gone about it in a better way agreed so backing up just a tiny tiny bit on may 31st 2013 right before the two-year anniversary Charlene and Bob, Rob, not Bob, Spear filed a civil lawsuit against Corey Rossman, Jay Rosenbaum, and Mike Beth. Hmm. So even this wasn't against Jesse. So it's not like this right. happened and that's what led Nadine. But whatever. Yeah. I'll, I'll put the Nadine thing to rest. Okay. <laughs> so the three men were being sued on the grounds of negligence that resulted in Lauren's disappearance. So the suit was basically saying that their actions that night may have resulted in Lauren's disappearance. And it said, quote, Spears' abandonment in an an intoxicated and disoriented state in the early morning hours of June 3rd, 2011, in an area known for criminal acts, contributed to her disappearance and presumed injuries and death. They also said as part of the suit that the men continued to give Lauren alcohol that night while she was very clearly very intoxicated. So the Spears claimed when they filed this that they really didn't want to file the suit with their lawyer saying, quote, the lawsuit was filed with great reluctance, but that they felt they had to get the accurate information out of the men. So when you're sued and like this type of thing happens, you have to go under oath and testify. So I think the Spears were hoping to get more information right. that the men had not previously shared because they'd have to be under oath. I think so that. it wasn't necessarily them saying, we think you're involved. It was them being like, we just want you to talk. Putting the heat on more because nothing exactly. was getting done otherwise. Yeah, that's yeah. what I think too. Because with Corey, Lauren's parents hadn't even been able to speak with him. And then with Jay, they did speak with him. But I think they thought that there was some information that wasn't being shared. Yeah. So Jay and Mike's attorneys responded by saying that neither of them had a legal duty to care for Lauren, which technically that is true. You know, they probably had a moral duty, especially Jay, because he was friends with her. Yeah. But, you know, legally, technically, 
That's true. Right. According to an article in the Indiana Public Media, quote, attorneys for Rosenbaum and Beth, so Jay and Mike, claim in separate responses filed that the lawsuit should be dismissed because Spears' parents cannot prove their daughter has been injured or has died. So these responses cite Indiana law that says a person can only be declare or presume dead legally if they've been missing for a continuous seven year period. Okay. So they're basically saying you can't say that their actions led to her presumed death because you can't legally presume that she is dead. Right. So Mike's attorney said that he could not have foreseen Lauren's disappearance because he escorted her to Jay's apartment and that Jay was the last person to see her. And then he also claimed that Mike hadn't involved been involved in giving her any alcohol that night, which according to the story from everybody, that is true. Right. So the suit against Mike was eventually dropped because they realized, you know, he really didn't have any involvement or, you know, uh, what's the word? I don't know. But like they weren't going to get anything else out of him, basically. Yeah. But the judge did allow the suit to go forward against Jay and Corey. So Jay's attorney claimed, quote, even if he had a legal duty to ensure Spear's safety, her parents cannot claim negligence because it is legally presumed that Spear is alive. So again, she can't be legally presumed dead because it's only been two years. Right. Unfortunately, though, on September 30th, 2014, over a year after the suit was originally filed, a federal judge dismissed the civil lawsuit against both Jay and Corey. So uh, the judge was named Tanya Walton Pratt, and she wrote, Although the court has great sympathy for the Spears, they have failed to present sufficient evidence that Corey Rossman and Jason Rosenbaum were at fault for their daughter's disappearance. Which is understandable. Yeah. I wish that they would freaking talk, because this is ridiculous, but legally they couldn't prove negligence. So, like, legally in that suit, they couldn't do anything. But just freaking talk to them. Yeah, that's the part that's frustrating is, like, yes, like, she potentially is the one who got herself intoxicated and, you know, maybe didn't make the best decisions that evening, but they were still with her, and they, especially Corey, I mean, he chose to, like, follow her around all night. Yeah. And then once he got sick and he was like, well, there's nothing for me to gain now, he was just like, Yeah, gone. So, yeah, just talk. Right. If you have nothing Prove to Prove your innocence. Talk. Go, like, yeah. go with your lawyer. Go with your lawyer so that you don't say anything that's going to accidentally, like, wrongfully incriminate you, but right. talk to them. Yeah. Because I could understand that worry, too, because that does happen. I mean, yeah. unfortunately, there are cops out there who will badger you until you confess. Yeah. And, but they're not going to do that if your lawyer is there. So, yeah. That suit was dropped, and the investigation continued over the next seven years. And now we're going to talk about all the different theories and different things, people that have been investigated. All right, first up, in April 2015, Bloomington police were investigating a possible link between Lauren's disappearance and the murder of another IU student named Hannah Wilson. Hannah was 22 years old when she finished her last exam of her college career in April 2015. 
On the night of April 23rd, 2015, Hannah was out with friends celebrating the end of the school year at Kilroy Sports Bar, the same one where Lauren disappeared or was at before she disappeared. How many years between? This was in 2015, so four, almost four years later. Okay, okay. Is when so, Lauren disappeared. A reasonable time. Yeah. yeah. But also not like a crazy amount of time. Right. So Hannah's friends reported that they determined that she was way too drunk to keep drinking. So at around 1 a.m. the early morning of Friday, April 24th, they put her into a green and white taxi and paid the fare to get her home. So Hannah gave the cab driver her house address, which was just about a third mile from Kilroy, so not far at all. But that was the last time that anyone saw her. Her roommate remembered hearing the door open around 1 a.m., around when Hannah would have gotten home, but said that she never heard it close. The next day, Hannah's roommates had found their house door wide open and found Hannah's cell phone and purse sitting on her unslept-in bed. Ooh, that's creepy. Yeah. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. At 8.34 a.m. on April 24th, a woman called 911 to report finding a young woman's body in a grassy area off of Plum Creek Road near Indiana 45 in Brown County, according to the South Bend Tribune. This was an isolated stretch of land in Brown County, miles away from IU. So, I mean, it wasn't, like, crazy far, but it also wasn't right in the area. Like, she probably didn't walk there. Right. But how did she get there? She was in her... That's so weird. It's almost following her. Yeah. So, the woman had been bludgeoned to death, and there Mm -hmm. was blood spatter around her body, and the medical examiner determined that at the time she was found, she had been dead for less than eight hours. And at her feet was a cell phone. So, Indiana State Police contacted the Bloomington Police that afternoon that they had found a woman's body, and Bloomington Police realized that they had received a report at 2.49 p.m. that day about Hannah being missing. So they were able to get a photo over to the Indiana State Police of Hannah, and they identified the body as hers. Okay. Now, thankfully, police were able to arrest a suspect pretty quickly because the cell phone found at Hannah's feet belonged to a 50-year-old Bloomington resident named Daniel Messel. Well, thank God you're a fucking idiot, (laughs) Daniel, but good lord. Yeah. So Daniel Messel reportedly lived with his father in Monroe County, which is the county that Bloomington is in. And he also had multiple arrests in his criminal history, including, quote, battery charges going back more than 20 years. So he had been arrested in 1989 on allegations that he beat his grandmother and broke bones in her face. What? Yeah. His grandmother? Mm Mm-hmm. What the fuck? And then two years later, he was arrested again for battery against his girlfriend. Ew. In 1993, he pled guilty to one of the three battery charges that existed against him. But guess what jail time he received for that? Oh, five months? (laughs) 
he received a 30-day suspended jail term and six months of probation. A.B. his grandmother. (laughs) What? Yeah. And this is why people have no faith in police. I'm sorry. In the system. And the system. Yeah, I guess I should blame the system on that one. The legal system. Yeah. The judge, the jury, whoever. Two years after this, thankfully, he received an eight-year jail sentence for felony battery. But he clearly got out after that sentence. What the hell, man? This is what... God, these repeat offenders, like... Yeah. If you've done the same... If you've done any kind of violent crime more than one or two times, we'll say two times. We'll give you the benefit of the doubt for the second time or the first time, whatever. Yeah. You should you should go to prison for life. Yeah. Like, especially if you were in jail and then you got out on probation and were supposed to be rehabilitated and then it happened again. Like, clearly yeah. it didn't work. No. Yeah. Good so. Lord. So anyway, he got out again. His trailer that he lived in with his dad was in a pretty rural area, and when police arrived at his home to investigate, they found him carrying a bag of bloody clothes. They also found blood in his car, and he was arrested that day. Was there ever any evidence that he was the one that picked her up that night? So, his dad told police that he had not returned from trivia that he would always go to on Thursday nights. And then his work also said that he had not come into work on Friday morning. So I don't know if there was ever any, like, physical proof that he picked her up somewhere. Okay. But they, it was pretty obvious that he had killed her. So he was eventually charged with Hannah's murder and brought to trial where he pled innocent. Hmm. All that blood. Okay. (laughs) So innocent. His defense attorney argued during the trial that he had crossed paths with Hannah that night, but had not killed her. So during the trial, the cab driver testified that he saw her weaving around the cars on the sidewalk near her home after he let her out. And because her cell phone and purse were in the house, it is assumed that she did make it inside. And he must have been following her and like went and got her because he realized how drunk she was. I don't know. So gross. Thankfully... Massel was convicted of Hannah's murder in 2016 and was sentenced to 80 years in prison. Oh, good. Yeah. Now, in 2018, he pled guilty to a 2012 attack on another IU student. So this victim was a young woman, and she had come forward in 2016 when she heard about Hannah's murder because, quote, the attack on her mirrored those of the assault on Hannah. So this victim said that in 2012, which again, that's just a year after Lauren disappeared, so a lot closer. She said that Messel had offered her a ride and drove her to a secluded parking lot where he beat and assaulted her. And after she came forward, investigators were actually able to connect Messel to her assault through DNA evidence. So in 2018, he pled guilty, and this is after he had been convicted of Hannah's murder. He received an additional... Eight years for this assault, plus seven years for being a habitual offender. Which, in my opinion, he should have gotten the first time, but prosecutors dismissed it. Wow. So, this time was to be served concurrently with his 80-year sentence. Thankfully, he'll never get out of jail. 80 years would make him, like, 130 years old, so. And he ain't living that long. (laughs) No. So, why does all of this matter, and why did I just go through Hannah's entire case? 
you may ask. Um, For one, I wanted to share her story because she deserves recognition and all of that. But when she was murdered, police started looking into seeing if there was a possibility of a connection between her murder and Lauren's disappearance. And in 2017, the prosecutor in Hannah's murder case straight up said that he believed it very well could be connected. He said, quote, Lauren's disappearance and vulnerability is consistent with the zone of danger of Daniel Messel, a convicted murderer, a man who was found to have plucked a young student from the same zone of danger and intentionally killing her. So this guy who has spent a ton of time investigating, looking into this case, is saying it very well could be connected. I could see that. I could. And it seems like Messel pretty much just like plucked her like he said like literally just grabbed her and took her and no one saw it and if it weren't for his freaking cell phone being found who knows if he would have been caught well that's what i was gonna say is like i could that seems like a very probable and a good potential you know situation that that could have occurred for lauren but i'm also like where if if that is if he did get to her Where's her body? Because if he left his cell phone behind, how is he going to get rid of a right. body without any trace? So I'm like, eh, yeah, I can it's see little... it, but I'm also like, is he that smart to yeah, that's true. completely get rid of a body? I don't know. Yeah. And from everything that I could find, there was never any real connection found between the two. He's right. never said that he had anything to do with it. And I'm guessing investigators have, you know, searched his property thoroughly and all that. But also this was four years after Lauren disappeared, so who knows? But Mm -hmm. investigators haven't really said much about it since then. Okay. So some people also believe that there may be other, another man like Messel that was in the area that could have abducted Lauren that night. So this is kind of what people call the stranger abduction theory, which basically is saying that someone randomly abducted her that night. Hmm. But most investigators tend to think that this is the least likely thing, especially because, you know, if if Jay's account is true and he watched Lauren until she walked around the corner, there would have been surveillance in that area. So unless there was another building that the surveillance wasn't working or it didn't have surveillance, it would have just been a very slim window for something like that. For someone to grab her. Yeah. Yeah. But you never know. You know, it could have been that that camera wasn't working or it was at the wrong angle or something. So you you do never know. And someone could have been following her around all night just waiting for her to be alone. Yeah, I mean, definitely. They, predators do that. So. Yeah. So I'm not really sure how I feel about that. But, you know, I don't think that it's totally should be disregarded. Right. So the next person that was looked into was Justin Wagers. In January 2016... Bloomington police and the FBI searched a property in Martinsville, Indiana, which again, not far from Bloomington. And this property belonged to Wager's mom and stepdad. Now, the full details of the search warrant are sealed and will pretty much always remain sealed unless there's any criminal charges filed. And the police never publicly connected his name to Lauren's case. So the connection to Lauren's case came from a local TV station citing an anonymous source reporting that authorities were at the home in connection to Lauren's case. So oh. police have never said we searched their home, his home, 
or this home in connection to Lauren. They've never made that connection publicly. It only came from these news outlets starting to report it. Yeah. You know, and people were reporting that, okay, it was being searched, but that could be related to How would they know why? Yeah, exactly. Unless they were in the home, like, or they have, like, supersonic hearing. (laughs) Right. And, like, Like, how would you know? There were, like, cadaver dogs, I think, and um, they collected Mm -hmm. evidence and stuff. But still, you don't know that it's in connection to Lauren. Yeah, it could be any case. I mean, yeah, from any time period. Yeah. You know, that police never made any connection. But with the search, news outlets claiming a connection and wagers, not so great criminal history, many people did begin to speculate that he may have been involved. So he had been arrested for indecent exposure nine times over 15 years. Mm -hmm. Why? Mm -hmm. No. And he also had two domestic violence related convictions. But his family, including his ex-wife, Gail Green, maintained that he had nothing to do with Lauren's disappearance. Gail said, quote, she and Wager's parents think police searched the, pro- searched the property because a woman with a grudge against Wagers gave police a false tip. The woman spoke about Spear in 2012 after she and Wagers had an argument. So they're basically saying we think someone had, had it out for him and gave the police a false tip. Which could be true, but he's still a shitbag, so mm-hmm. they got to pursue that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the family said there was no connection. Justin Wager's lawyer made a statement saying he had no knowledge of Lauren Spears' disappearance. So that one pretty much went cold, which that didn't surprise me. As soon as I heard that the police never made the connection, I was like, okay, this is dumb. Like, I don't think it means anything. Right. So in June 2016... Five years after Lauren disappeared, a former FBI cold case agent named Brad Garrett was hired by the Spears to look into Lauren's case. And at the time, he was like then an ABC News consultant. So he was a retired agent and then now an ABC News consultant. And he was okay. working with a whole team of detectives that I'm pretty sure were from Bo Deedle's firm on Lauren's case. So in 2016, he was working through the investigation when he learned about an ex-convict who had been recently released from prison. So this man had been incarcerated for assaulting his ex-wife around the same time that Lauren disappeared. And even more compelling, he drove a white truck. Now you're probably like, Haley, why is that compelling? Yeah. Because I haven't mentioned this yet because I didn't want to confuse anything. But the night Lauren disappeared, a white truck was spotted on surveillance video not far from where she was last seen. So the white truck and, like, one image of Lauren are pretty much the only thing that police released from surveillance. Okay. But it wasn't, like, seen with Lauren. It was just in the area. Okay. So not, like following her or like in several images of her right it was just in one area but at the time bloomington police said there definitely could be a possible connection but they never found the driver i don't think or if they did they never like talked about it and they didn't really ever share any more information on this so when brad garrett discovered that this man james mcclish had a similar white truck at the time lauren disappeared and that he was living in a halfway house about 10 minutes away, he was like, wait a minute, this guy could be involved. Okay. 
So according to an ABC News article, Garrett said a woman from McClish's past had reached out and said, you need to check him out. He was there. He made comments like, you know what happened to her, meaning Lauren. The same thing could happen to you. So this woman alleged that McClish had killed Lauren and then buried her on a farm in southern Indiana. Mm. So McClish was like, okay, let's look into this. Or, sorry, Garrett was like, let's look into this. And he spoke to McClish, and McClish actually went on ABC 2020 to take a lie detector test. And this was conducted by a veteran polygraph examiner, and he did pass the test. So that theory pretty much from then went cold. All right. Another person that Brad Garrett talked to was Corey Hammersley. Hammersley. I think it's Hammersley. Okay. (laughs) This guy was an former IU football player that had been arrested in 2013 after, quote, having a meltdown while high on drugs and going on a rampage with a 9mm pistol. Oh. So he was found guilty of attempted murder after he shot 32 bullets into a random house and a car and even firing on police when they arrived. Oh, my gosh. And this happened just a year after Lauren disappeared, and he was sentenced to 24 years in prison because of it. Okay, so what's the link there, though? So he was in jail, (laughs) and a tip came anonymously to the family's website, findlauren.com. And this tip, I don't know if it was directly from this inmate or from somebody else, but basically, another inmate claimed that one day he was playing cards with Hammerslay. I can't remember if it's Hammerslay or Hammersly now. Is it S-L-Y or S-L-A-Y? S-L-E-Y. Oh, so I can't. It sounds remember. like Slay. Slay. I, don't know. I think it's Hammersley. So he was playing cards, and Lauren's photo popped up onto a TV, and immediately, I'll just call him Corey. Corey said, "Quote, man, I knew the guys that did that." So from the inmate, according to this anonymous inmate, Corey said, "Quote, they were drinking and doing ecstasy. She OD'd. It scared them." They didn't know what to do with her, and they took her down to the Ohio River and got rid of her, disposed of her body. Okay. So he wasn't necessarily involved. He just said that he knew what happened. Correct. Yep. That's what he's... He told this inmate. So... And that honestly was a theory that I had from the gate. Like... Me too. But didn't they search that river at one point, or no? They searched a different place. I mean, they may have Uh. searched that river, but... I think it's a pretty big river that runs through a lot of Indiana. So, like, you know, if she was put in there, she might have been washed away really quickly. Yeah. Wow. So, Brad Garrett, the PI, he does believe that this is one of the most compelling theories in the case. He said that if she was experimenting with drugs, she very well could have accidentally died that night, especially with her heart condition. Yeah. She could have had some sort of negative effect that they weren't expecting. And it may have taken her life. So this theory was very compelling. And after this, Corey Hammersley talked to investigators and he denied knowing anything about Lauren's disappearance. So he was like, nope, I never said that. I don't know anything. Mm. He was interviewed by Brad Garrett and investigator Bill Benjamin. And part of that interview uh, aired on ABC 2020. So, again, he denied knowing anything, and when asked by Garrett if he helped move Lauren's body, he responded, quote, absolutely not. I've never met this person in my life. Which I was like, let's not blame him. 
Let's, and that could be true. He yeah. might have never. He might have had nothing to do with it. He may have never met her. Just word of mouth through right. the grapevine heard that that happened. He he knew the guys. I mean, right. they all went to school together yeah. right around that time. Like let's let's not blame him. Let's try to get information out of him without making him feel like he's going to get in trouble. Right. So I don't know, but yeah. So he actually later sued ABC for being negligent in airing and allowing his interview, and he assumed the Department of Corrections for negligently allowing interviewers into the facility. So both ABC and the DOC obviously filed motions to dismiss, which were granted by Madison County Circuit Court. The ABC claim was dropped because he didn't file all the proper paperwork, basically, and he appealed the dismiss dismissal in relation to the doc suit and the appellate court judge randy shepherd wrote in 2019 there is no indication that his decision to speak with garrett and benjamin had any bearing on the the preservation of his life health or safety or that it was coerced or involuntary in any way so he basically said Corey hammersley did not prove defamation so that was also dropped in 2019 but this this one like drives me crazy because I'm like again he might have literally no involvement but he might have known and they're jumping down his throat yeah exactly yeah this is reminding me which I think I say this about every case but this case is reminding me of Natalie Holloway's case yeah how like there's so much like back and forth and like not wanting to cooperate and he said she said and this happened and I heard this and right. And I get that you're suspicious of people, but, like, especially this guy, he had no connection to Lauren, so he probably had nothing to do with it, but he might have known something, and now he's not... He could have been the red hair. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I personally still think that something like that happened. I don't know exactly who was involved. If anybody was... I don't know. So, next theory is related to a motorcycle gang called Sons of Silence. They are a motorcycle club founded in Colorado in 1966, and they later spread to other states. In the summer of 2011, the Indianapolis chapter of the Son of Silence came under scrutiny when one of their high-ranking members was caught for narcotics and illegal firearms trafficking. So, you know, they, they definitely got into some trouble and actually in a History Channel documentary about the gang, which I have it on my watch list because I've heard it's really good. I haven't watched it yet, but... In that, they are referred to as the New Mafia. So they're kind of known for drugs and other stuff like that. All that typical, like... It reminds me of, like, Sons of Anarchy, if you've ever watched that. They're, like, into anything. I mean, anything to make money and hustle. and Yeah, yeah. exactly. (laughs) So in Brad Garrett's investigation, he got a tip about a former Sons of Silence member named Robert Strange, who went by the street name Bodine. And according to Garrett, this man apparently had, quote, a reputation for being what they call an enforcer. If you have a problem in your gang, you come to him and he takes care of it. Oh, that's like the ice pick man or whatever. You know about that guy? Yeah. (laughs) Shiver. Yeah, literally. (laughs) So he did not have a criminal record, but authorities did know who he was. And so someone was claiming to Brad Garrett to be Robert Strange's relative. And this guy messaged Garrett and claimed that Strange shot Lauren in a dispute over drugs and money and then buried her on his property. 
And this family member also claimed that Strange said about Lauren, quote, it's very good fertilizer. Mm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So (laughs) Strange, of course, claimed he had nothing to do with it. And when Garrett looked into this more, he was basically like, there's very, it's very unlikely there's a connection. He said, you know, based on Lauren's phone records, it was unlikely that she had any suspicious links to Indianapolis where she supposedly was taken. Like, it just, no. She's just this, like, 20-year-old college girl, like, just trying to have fun and go to school. Like, I don't think she's messing around with, like, the new mafia. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. That lead pretty much fizzled out. Okay. Okay. Two more theories. All right. So the next one is one that I'm going to say from now, it is very far out there and has never been discussed by actual investigators. And this is the one I told you about earlier, Andrea. Like a Reddit rabbit hole kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So I I pretty much found this on like Web Sleuths and Reddit. So like, take that as you will. Yeah. But some people believe it is a possibility that Lauren could have been a victim of serial killer Israel Keys. Now, if you don't know Israel Keys, he is an infamous serial killer that was active from around 1996 until about 2012. And I am going to cover him one day. I have him on my list because he is, like, the serial killer that fascinates me the most. Like, the psychological aspect of him and his... Yeah, because he didn't follow anything. He didn't follow any of the textbook stuff. Nope. For a kind of a quick overview... He is believed to have somewhere from between 3 and 11 victims, but his victims were way all... more. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think way more. I do too. Way more. And his victims were all completely random. So mm-hmm. he was known for basically he planted what people call kill kits or murder kill kits, kits. Yeah. in various areas across America. So he'd basically bury these or hide them, but most often bury them in all places across the U.S., and then he'd later go dig them up and then use them to just kill somebody that he picked at random that day. Yeah. Even internationally, wasn't it? Didn't he, like, go on business oh, trips you're right. I think it was. Yeah. Like, he was, like, like, woo. Yeah. <laughs> like, getting it in. Yeah. And Not it's in a good way. <laughs> unknown exactly how many of these kill kits he had hidden, and a lot of people mm-hmm. think that there are still plenty out there that are hidden. Oh, I'm sure. I'm oh, yeah. sure. And it's also unknown exactly how many people he killed. A lot of work has been done to try to track his movements and, like, where he went over the years. Because that's really the only way to identify his crimes. Because there's almost no way to connect him to people. So, that's kind of him. He eventually was caught and he actually committed suicide while waiting to go to trial for one murder that they for sure could prove. Right. So, that's about him. But... On the morning of June 2nd, 2011, Israel Keys actually passed through three tolls on the Indiana Toll Road in northern Indiana. Mm. So some of these Reddit sleuths that kind of put this together said that he had possibly or he had likely flown from Arkansas to Illinois that day, landing in Chicago possibly in the morning and then possibly driving down to Bloomington. So... People have mapped this out and mapped out this timeline and said, you know, it it possibly could happen that he was in Bloomington, but no proof, no law enforcement ever said anything. anything. Yeah. 
So, and law enforcement has never acknowledged this or said anything about this, but it just, over the years, as people have developed Israel Key's timeline more, I think more and more people have become a little bit suspicious that possibly she could be a victim. Okay. So, when I first heard it, I was like, oh my god, I could definitely see that. And then when I was reading through the timeline more, I was like, okay... Maybe it's not as possible. And like I said, I'm going to cover him one day and go like way in depth on his timeline and everything. Um, but it, it is a theory in this case. Okay. All right. So we are on to the very last theory about Lauren Spear. And this one is super recent and has to do with our favorite TikTok. <laughs> Good old TikTok. <laughs> in July of this year, 2021, a theory came out through a TikTok video that alleges that Lauren may be still alive and is one of the women who appear to be held hostage in an online gambling game. So TikTok user Ty the Crazy Guy shared a video of an online casino called Rubet. And this is actually outlawed in the U.S., but Americans can still access it by using a VPN. And the exact location of this casino is unknown. But the company is registered in the Caribbean on an island called Curacao, according to, or Caraco. I don't know how to say that, but that's according to their privacy policy. But nobody okay. knows where it actually is. So it's basically online gambling where you're playing against female dealers live. And most of the dealers look to be not there under their own will. They look very uh. sick pale, tired, often having puffy red eyes. A lot of people speculate that they may be under the influence of drugs that are keeping them calm. And so a lot of people believe this casino is a front for human trafficking. That is so scary. The fact that stuff like that exists Mm -hmm. is just beyond my level of thinking. I know. So during the games, the women are often seen nodding off. So people are thinking, you know, they're Heroin probably. To use drugs, yeah. they're overworked. And one time a user was it's live awful. streaming his game when his dealer straight up like passed out onto the table, like fell asleep onto the table. And you can see like two girls in the background when this happened kind of started looking around frantically, clearly concerned, but nobody got up to check on her. Like none of the girls got up to see what was going on. And I then pretty much Yeah. Pretty much immediately some men came in and basically took her and dragged her off camera by her arms. But what's super weird is they took the chair that she was in too. So a lot of people think that the women were tied down to their chairs. That's what I was thinking too. When you said that they didn't move, they probably were told not to, but they're probably also tied to their chairs or chained to their chairs or whatever. Wow. Yeah. And what's even more weird is sometimes some of the women are seen wearing masks like pandemic COVID masks. But not all Mm -hmm. of them are wearing them and not all the time. So people are like, why would some of them be wearing them? And one of the dealers wearing a mask one night looked a lot like Lauren Spear. Have you seen the picture? I have. Okay. I can see the resemblance. I want to Google it. Yeah, Google Google it. it. And I'll definitely post it on our Instagram so you guys can look at it and see for yourself. I can see the resemblance. It's hard because since she's wearing a mask, you can't you can only see so much and so much of the facial facial features are like in your like cheeks and mouth, I feel like. Yeah, if 
if it is her, obviously, you know, she's aged. She looks very gaunt. Um, I don't know. Like, the eye space between the, t- the eyes is a little different. So, I don't know. It's hard to tell when all you can see is the eyes. I know. I, that's, I go back and forth on it. Yeah. But after this TikTok video went viral... Lauren's family actually informed police about it for them to look Mm -hmm. into it. And then her mom, Charlene, shared on Facebook, quote, we have seen the TikTok video. And while we do not believe it has anything to do with Lauren, it has been forwarded to the authorities who are aware as well. We appreciate everyone's help in following up on all possibilities. Thank you. Our efforts to find out what happened to Lauren continue. I mean, that's always a possibility, like sex trafficking. I mean, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. that's the, the day and age we live in. And yeah, it's awful. So police haven't said anything about this theory, but hopefully for both the sake of Lauren and the rest of the women, they are looking into it. I'm sure that they are. But that's the last real theory, and pretty much nothing is known about what happened to Lauren. There is no real concrete evidence. She's never been found, and nobody has ever come forward saying this is what happened. Yeah, that's so sad. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely on the something happened with, you know, she had had too much to drink, too many drugs, something happened and, you know, they freaked out and I don't know. I, I personally don't think that Jesse, the boyfriend, has anything to do with it. No, I don't think so either. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's obviously a lot of theories but i don't think there's a lot of realistic possibilities yeah um but i definitely think somebody in the case knows more and they need to they just do the right thing step up and say something like yeah a a small part of me is like doesn't want to let go of the theory that possibly it could have been a random abduction because i think that Mm -hmm. is still a, a possibility and i don't think we can completely rule that out but I agree. Personally, Where's her body? Yeah. I mean. But, but she could have been taken across state lines and, you know, like. Yeah. Who knows? And also, I will say, when I first heard about the TikTok theory, I was like, but it's been 10 years. There's no way. And then I was like, wait a minute. Amanda and Michelle and Gina were in Ariel yeah. Castro's house for 10 years. And if yeah. you guys don't know what I'm talking about, go listen to the first 12 episodes of our podcast because we went through their whole case. So at yeah. first I was like, there's no way, but there is a way. Oh, so. yeah. They, I mean, when they, when people get trafficked like this, they use them until yeah. they're, they can't be used anymore. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been, what, 2011, you said? Yeah, so it's been, it's officially been 10 years. 10 years. So, I mean, she would only be 30. She would still be, you know, attractive and, you know, whatever it is that they look for. I don't know. I don't even want to think about it. But, you know, that's very, I mean, that is a huge possibility. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I definitely think that that's a possibility, but I lean personally more towards something happened that night. And I don't think anybody purposefully killed her. Like, I don't think anybody was, like... Like, of those guys, if that's what happened, yeah, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. I don't think anybody, like, purposefully made her overdose or, you know, shot right. her or anything. Yeah. I personally think that there was some sort of accident, 
and something happened. They um, panicked. And when you're using drugs like that too, you like you don't even think if rationally. Yeah. No. Like you know, and I I get that that happens, but like come forward, because yeah. clearly, if something did happen, it's clearly like they don't remember because they made up a story. And it's better. Okay, so like if you are like high on drugs and your friend does overdose or has some kind of terrible reaction and you know god forbid does pass away as a result it's better to like deal with the potential drug charge as opposed to like murder or covering up of a murder or like a death or whatever because that's still Um, like a manslaughter charge or something like yeah absolutely hiding yeah getting rid of a body yeah well, yeah, like you talked about deal. in the um, Sydney Loof case, they were charged yeah. with imp- what was it? Improper disposal. Improper disposal of human remains. Yeah, yeah. skeletal so, remains. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, you know, hopefully one day Lauren's family will get closure. I just, you know, I know my thoughts are with her, her parents, because that's I can't. Yeah. To not have it, you know, at the at the very worst and the very least, have your child's body that you can later rest. Yeah. And just they're out there and you have no idea. Like, I yeah. don't want to think about that. And no. I just. I know. And, awful. you know, they continue to hold out hope that they'll find out what happened. The Bloomington police continue to investigate and search. You know, they still follow up on any leads they get. They're, they're never going to yeah. give up. So. Well, that's good. Yeah. But that, friends, is the case the disappearance of Lauren Spear and all the crazy theories that went along with it. I hope you guys found it as interesting as I did. Um, cause it really is just crazy how many different theories popped up about this one case. Yeah. But yeah, that was a requested case for you guys. And one that has stuck with me and is one of my top, I need to know what happened. If I could ask yeah. a genie to find out what happened in three cases, this would be one of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know i always say like one day when i die and i go to heaven i'm gonna ask god what happened to blah 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 yeah. you know all these different people oh who've yeah gone missing or even people who've been murdered whatever you know there's yeah. so many that just like i, I need just to know. they pop into my mind and i'm like i need to know like yeah. i want to know for the sake of their family but like i also yeah. need to know yeah. you know i know so, crazy yeah, town. you know, you never know. Even 10 years later, you never know. Something could come come forward. So it's always good yeah, to keep never talking too late. about these. Yeah. Yeah. But that is all I have for you guys. Um, I hope that you guys don't hate me for making this a two-parter, but <laughs> they're both going to be, like, over 45 minutes long. So, yeah, it needed to be done. <laughs> yeah. So thank you guys so, so much for listening. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review. We're almost at 200. We're like three away. So if you're listening on Apple and you have not given us a rating, please go give us a rating so we can get to 200. Yes. We love reading you guys' reviews. We really do. We always share them on Instagram too. So we appreciate you guys so much. Yeah, we do. Thank you guys for listening. Yeah. And until Monday... Keep it human. Bye. Bye.
We are super excited because today's episode is sponsored by BarkBox. As most of you guys know, my dog Mackie loves his chew toys, but they do not last very long in our house. And that's why we love our subscription service, BarkBox. BarkBox is a monthly subscription box that offers an array of theme boxes for your pup. Inside your box, you'll find toys, treats, and unleashed joy, thoughtfully designed to satisfy every dog's unique playstyle. BarkBox has several boxes to choose from, depending on your dog's needs, such as the Super Chewer box, which was designed to challenge and engage your pup for longer-lasting play. And that's what we need for Mackie. <laughs> right now, you can get a free extra month of BarkBox, which is up to a $35 value, by using our link, www.barkbox.com inhumanpod. So treat your dog to what they love with BarkBox www.barkbox.com slash inhumanpod for a extra free month of BarkBox. 